Welcome to the Startup of the Year podcast, where each episode we showcase exciting new companies from around the world. This podcast is produced by Established, creators of the Startup of the Year program. Established is focused on helping organizations with their innovation, startup, and communication strategies. Hello, and welcome back to the Startup of the Year podcast. I'm Frank Gruber, the co-founder and co-CEO of Established, co-founder of Established Ventures, and the team behind the Startup of the Year community and this very podcast. Welcome. On this special episode today, you're going to hear from our own COO, John Guidos. And he's going to talk to some, a panel from our last year's summit. It's a bunch of our alumni from the Startup of the Year community. So it's going to be a great discussion. We're looking forward to that in a second. Before we jump into that, though, we've got some special news from our good friend Lakshmi Shanoi down in Tampa, Florida. She's with Embark Collective. And it's uh, some exciting news for our community. So let's hear it. Hi, Lakshmi. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me today. Great. So for our listeners that don't know Lakshmi, she is the CEO of Embark Collective. And I know she has some exciting news to announce about the upcoming summit. So Lakshmi, will you please let our listeners know about some of the festivities? Yes, I'd be happy to. We are so excited to be working with Establish to bring the Startup of the Year Summit and Awards Program to Tampa, Florida. And this event is going to be held in person from January 25th to 27th in 2022 with our title sponsor, ReliaQuest. And I can tell you that January is an excellent time to come down to Florida. <laughs> Definitely. Well, we're very excited as well. And can you tell uh, our listeners how everyone can attend the event and some of the things they might be able to expect? Yes, we are currently scheduling all of the fun activities, but expect to mix and mingle with some of the best and brightest in the startup world, both startups, investors, and corporate innovators. You can learn more and express your interest in attending by going to summit.startupofyear.com. This year, a hundred startups are cha- who are all changing their industries are going to pitch, engage with investors and mentors, and expand their global recognition, all from Tampa, Florida. The companies will compete up for up to $50,000 in potential investment, the championship title, the People's Choice Award presented by ReliQuest, and much, much more. That's amazing. It's very exciting. I know we're super pumped to be working with you all as well. Um, can you talk a little bit about the work ongoing over it that's ongoing over at Embark Collective and some of the great work that is going on in the Tampa startup ecosystem? Absolutely. Uh, Florida right now is going through quite the growth spur as it relates to startup life. And Tampa was just uh, named the country's top emerging tech city by Forbes. And you might have seen some coverage in TechCrunch and Axios highlighting the region because we have a very um, exciting Bitcoin and blockchain community that has emerged in Tampa Bay. Embark Collective is Florida's fastest growing startup hub, and we help founders in Florida and across, uh, across, specifically in Tampa Bay, build bold, thriving, scalable companies. And we do that by offering hands-on support driven by their unique goals and the needs of each of the member startups that we support. We currently support over 100 early stage tech and tech-enabled startups, and we get to work with them at our 32,000 square foot startup hub in downtown Tampa, which will be a critical spot for the Startup of the Year Summit. So we're excited to have everyone. 
Oh, I know. It's we're really excited. Um, it's all amazing stuff. And I know this is our ninth year producing the Startup of the Year Summit and Awards. And in years past, we brought startups and investors to downtown Las Vegas, San Jose, San Francisco, Boston, and Memphis, just to name a few. And we continue to find ourselves in Tampa a lot for meetings and startup events and are thrilled to partner with Embark Collective as we return to gather an incredible group of rising companies, early stage investors, and thought leaders. Yes, I am so excited to be able to showcase all of what's happening in Tampa and the surrounding region. We have so much growth happening, happening not only within the startups that are growing here, but even just the landscape of what's happening here. And for people to see it for themselves, um, I think you'll get a sense for the energy that is really emerging in Florida at this moment. Absolutely. And I know that I probably share a lot of people's thoughts and excitement about getting back in person and having a little bit of fun and collaborating and seeing people again. So um, really, really encouraged by all of the work going into putting on this event and it's going to be spectacular. I, I know it is. So I want to thank you today, Lakshmi. Um, we cannot wait for Summit and to see all of our friends down in Tampa in late January. As you said, not a bad time to be in Florida. So uh, we hope all of our listeners will join us again. And Lakshmi, before we sign off here, do you mind telling everybody where they can get tickets for the event again? Absolutely. If you head to summit.startupofyear.com, you can learn all about the Startup of the Year Summit and Awards. And I can't wait to see each of you in Tampa in January. Thank you, Lakshmi. We're so excited to be headed down to Tampa for the summit. It's going to be a lot of fun. We've been looking forward to it. We haven't been able to bring together our community for a couple years due to the pandemic. So this is our first time and can't, I mean, we're really, really excited. So if you want to be a part of it and you're excited about what you're hearing, please go to summit.startupofyear.com to learn more, get on the list, and uh, we'll be, you know, following up with more information soon. All right. With all the buzz about Summit, we're going to kind of turn back the clock here and give you a, a session that was at our last year's Summit with some distinguished alumni. We've got the CEO and co-founder of Aperiomics, Crystal Eisenhower. We've got, uh, we've got Dawn Dixon Apagane from Flat Out of Heels and Pop, uh, Popcom, which uh, are both companies she was part of, part of and, and run. And uh, Cooper Harris from founder and CEO of Clickly, as well as Samantha Snaves from Re3D. So we're going to jump into that discussion. Take it away, Johnny. Well, why don't we do this? Why don't we start out, um, you know, introduce yourself. Your, you know, talk about your company a little bit, maybe what your business model is. And for those people out there that don't know um, a little bit about the user experience. So let's start with Cooper. Um, Cooper, maybe tell us a little bit more about Clickly. Sure. I'm Cooper Harris. I'm the founder and the CEO of Clickly. And as I said, um, we won the CES award at start of the year one year and then um, became a portfolio company. So I'm a huge fan of this uh, event. Um, I'm a serial entrepreneur. This is my third company. Um, I'm not exhausted yet, so I'll probably keep going. Um, but I began my career as an actress on TV, on sitcoms and um, daytime TV. So a complete, uh, very different beginning to my career. Um, but I now am running a large tech company, which is fun and um, ultimately a much better choice probably. Uh, I also have the pleasure of writing for Forbes Inc. Entrepreneur. You may have seen me geek out about um, uh, tech and e-commerce and data and machine learning at like Shop Talk, uh, Money 2020, CES, et cetera. 
Um, and yeah, I'm just like obsessed now with all things um, innovation and startups, basically. Uh, Clickly is a software platform. We work with about 2,000 brands and we help them sell the right thing to the right person at the right time. So we use a lot of machine learning to um, do matching. And um, basically we're a commerce enablement layer that allows these consumers to buy the product they want in emails, ads, content, um, marketplaces, et cetera. Fantastic. All right, I have a real quick follow-up question then. You probably have gotten this before, but how did your previous life as an actress or an actor uh, <laughs> help with, with your life as a startup founder? Or did it? Or did, or did it? it? No, it totally did. Um, I went to like a very, very intense school, think um, Juilliard. And so, you know, we had 100 hour weeks, if not more, we had no weekends. And the discipline for doing that type of thing, learning 80 pages of of um, lines a day, getting like one take in front of the camera. Plus like once I was out auditioning, you know, 80 times a week, like that kind of, um, I don't know, just scrutiny and criticism and psychological abuse. All of it um, has made me have a very nice, I think thick skin. And it also um, the elocution classes I guess you know you can't tell now but I did it one time of about seven years and like speaking and public speaking all of that so that you know all of those things I think translate well into um, both having the discipline to run a business and also hopefully the ability to to share the story with your audience be it investors or consumers oh for, I could totally see that and that's actually I've never thought about that before but I think all of us on this call have raised rounds of capital in the past and the amount of meetings and I don't want to say rejection. It's It's totally rejection. Every, every woman on this panel has probably statistically had a harder time raising than most men. And like, we could probably all agree there's a lot of rejection involved, but Hey, it's about perseverance and, um, and having that thick skin. Sure. Well, that's fantastic. All right. Well, let's keep rolling here. So Crystal, you're up next. If you could Tell everybody about a little bit about your background and about your company. And like I said, uh, maybe walk everyone through the user experience and what all that looks like. Yeah, um, so I'm Dr. Crystal Eisenhower. I'm the CEO of Aperiomics. And my background, um, I'm also a serial entrepreneur. This is my second company. My first company, um, I started right after I finished my training at Duke University. So I've, I, I joke that I've never had a real job. <laughs> um, but really, this is, I think, the hardest thing anyone could ever do. Um, so I've, I'm really good at helping professors um, translate their very technological ideas into something that's commercially viable, commercially marketable. And um, I've been in the space for infectious diseases. So my background is as an infectious disease expert. So I bring both a business, um, the business savvy side, but also the technology side from uh, you know, applying things to the infectious disease market. Uh, which leads me into the company, Aperiomics. Our mission is to advance healthcare through better infection testing. I think everyone here knows at least one person who is sick and no one can figure out why. And they just keep going test after test after test. And um, the current testing is incapable of giving answers. So what we're doing is applying a completely different paradigm. Instead of looking for things one at a time or a few things at a time, we screen for everything that's known. Um, that's over 40,000 microbacteria, uh, viruses, parasites, and fungus that we're able to do this. And it's through software. 
And actually just earlier today, I was joking, I'm not sure exactly how I became the CEO of a software company, but here I am. So we're applying very advanced computation, um, massive databases and artificial intelligence to help um, not only identify every microorganism that's in a patient sample, blood, tissue, urine, fecal, but also helping the doctor understand what it means. So, you know, is this finding part of the human body or not? Um, is this in the right part of the body? Is it in the right amount of the body? So, um, so we've been applying this in the clinical market for um, over three and a half years now. We've generated substantial revenues. Um, I just closed our series A round a week ago. So that was exciting. Um, so the, the comments about fundraising are, they're real, uh, that persistence is absolutely key. And really, uh, you know, to date, our user experience is really patient focused. Our patients find us online because they're sick and no one can figure out why. And so they are heavily driven to finding an answer. And so they find us and then we help them one patient at a time work through the system to get the best answer we can possibly give them. As we're advancing forward with the Series A we just raised, we're shifting our focus towards working with healthcare providers, medical centers, because <laughs> we just got our first Medicare payment. So wow. um, that's you know, we're on the cusp of something of, of, of leaving startup phase and entering into a very rapid growth phase. Well, congratulations. That's that's all. I mean, that's amazing and i'd love to have a conversation with you some other time because there's a lot of questions that my friends and relatives are calling me about <laughs> recently with everything that's going on with the pandemic that's uh you know on the top of everybody's minds these days so yes and certainly um unfortunately the the fact that infections are commonly not ever identified is the cause of this pandemic um we did not know what was causing these initial illnesses and it wasn't properly treated or quarantined. And this is the worst case scenario of what can happen when infections go undiagnosed. Had our technology been used in those first few cases, we would have identified SARS. It would have been slightly incorrect, but it would have been a huge red flag to stop everything, quarantine. And so our technology um, is actually in a good position to prevent future pandemics. Wow, that's, that's pretty amazing. Let me ask you kind of a weird question here because I, I'm a conspiracy theorist. I'm not going to make it too weird, but how is I, I've seen in the news lately and Frank, our CEO, he texts me this all hours of the night um, about news articles. But do you do you believe or have you seen any data to suggest that um, COVID was here longer than we had we initially thought? Right. Like we all started hearing about it earlier this year, but have you, do you have any insight into that at all? Um, so I have some some direct knowledge um, with um, people that showed up positive long before the first cases were reported. Um, so based on what we've seen with our COVID testing, it appears that COVID arrived in the US um, somewhere in early December or, or possibly even earlier. Um, we have documented cases that occurred in mid-December. Wow, that's so interesting. Well, great. Well, I got to keep it rolling, but um, but thank you for all of that. We'll come back to all of that, I promise. Uh, so, Samantha, you're up next. A little bit about your company and yourself, and um, yeah, we'll take it from there. Sure. Thanks again for having me. So, um, yeah, I'm a I'm an Air Force reservist on the weekends, and during the week, I have the honor of working with um, a team where we make um, the world's largest affordable industrial 3D printers. Um, we call it the Gigabot. They now go as big as your budget. 
And um, we've been, uh, what makes us a little bit unique is um, while, I, while I attempted to fundraise and sold my first venture, which was an artificial immune system we co-invented on a DARPA grant, um, when I was, um, when I was working uh, with some friends at NASA Johnson Space Center and volunteering with Engineers Without Borders NASA Johnson Space Center, we, we saw a need to help people create things on demand um, to create jobs and economic independence. And we saw 3D printing as a tool to do that. Um, so we decided to pursue a, a less traditional business model that um, I submit might be, might be a little bit more common now um, post COVID as so many people are, are thinking about um, the post pandemic society, but we are um, a staunchly open source, socially driven um, and bootstrap startup. So we work with Dirty Fingernails um, in Houston, Texas at our factory to build these huge 3D printers. In fact, I can uh, walk over and show you some as I talk um, that um, not only print with um, filament, the rope-like material you may have seen uh, say, at a, say at, a, at a school, but they can also print from pellets or flake. And what makes that so exciting is we have well, here's some smaller ones. Uh, you can print from, I don't know if you can really see it, sorry, uh, for scale, the big ones inside the chamber right now. Um, we can uh, print from regrinder pellets, which allows you to print directly from garbage. So you can print from garbage or non-garbage um, in three different formats, um, as big as a human and bigger, and um, that allows people to create functional objects. And what's been so interesting with with COVID is in addition to contributing to the PPE movement as many of our peers did um, and still do, uh, it um, has really put a lot of focus on the need for um, on-demand manufacturing and um, including in the US where a lot of stuff's been offshored. So um, we've been really um, fortunate to be able to lean into that and, and support the community and, and grow in, in this time of uncertainty and um, are so thankful for the startup of the year um, community that continues to make introductions and advocate for our success. Um, while we are bootstrapped, we have um, been honored to win about 4.5 million in pitch competitions and grants and have uh, more in the pipeline and um, are pleased to share we're you know, close to 9 million in, in revenue in over 50 countries around the world. So looking forward to clearing the rest of our testing certification here in the lab so we can uh, grow with, with your support. And, and again, um, so thankful to the community. If you have any questions about bootstrapping, grant writing, pitching, we're here for you. We want to pay it forward. Well, yeah, that's really interesting work. So let me ask you one quick fun follow-up question. What's the most, I don't know how to say this without sounding goofy, but like, what's the coolest thing you've, you've ever printed? Yeah. So, um, because when I, we originally started pitching it was, it was, um, I really wanted to make a composting toilet from our time in, in Rwanda. And that was a, a use case we came up with of a functional object. So um, I personally heart any um, toilet hacks. I think that's one heart, sorry. Uh, and one of my first prints, uh, we actually got started with, with 40,000 from Startup Chile, which is uh, an accelerator in, in Chile that allowed us to quit our jobs at NASA. And um, the first hack I got to print was a urinal for a renewable bathroom installation in a slum outside of Valparaiso. And so, um, you know, while I have yet to print a toilet, uh, we have several customers in the sanitation industry that do make toilets. So that's always exciting. Um, we're uh, waiting to hear back if we got to the uh, TED Global Fellows. And, and if we do have a TED Talk, I've, I've decided I'm going to print a toilet from garbage and sit on it on stage. So, um, but we <laughs> did make so the cool. toilet seat yeah. for women on the International Space Station, one of our customers did. So 
that, that might be my favorite print. <laughs> that is, that's impressive. Well, well, very good, very good. Um, okay, so let's keep rolling. So uh, Don, I think you're up next here, round, rounding us out. So tell us a little bit about yourself and, you, and your company, companies. These ladies are hard acts to follow. They're so phenomenal, so much cool stuff. Um, so the company that I competed in startup of the year was Flat Out Appeal. So here's a pair of them. They're rollable ballet flats for women to wear when their feet hurt in heels. And it really was just, you know, started out of necessity. It's a consumer product for women and, you know, carry them in our purse. But what really kicked things off for me was when I had the idea to sell them in vending machines. It was um, the thinking was that when we're out and our feet hurt, we don't want to wait. We can't get them online. We can't find a store. A vending machine would be a great direct to customer distribution channel to sell these flats. But, um, what I came to realize pretty quickly after launching my first five machines selling on flat outs was that many other brands and, and retailers want to use vending machines as well. And the problem is they're just pretty dumb. And so what Popcom does, which is the company that I, that I started after flat out appeals, Popcom creates software to revolutionize automated retail and automated retail is anywhere where customers self-serve. So that's vending machines, that's kiosks and that's package lockers. So kiosks are used for things like placing orders for food, checking in, checking in your bags at the airport, self-checkout at the grocery store. All these things are um, self-serving. And then, of course, a vending machine dispenses. And so our technology brings the e-commerce experience to vending machines and kiosks by using cameras to act the same way that Google Analytics acts for tracking IP address. We use cameras to track the conversion rates, the traffic, um, the demographic profile, we can deliver targeted ads and content based on what the camera detects and really get a deeper understanding of what's happening in and around these machines so that more retailers can use uh, vending machines and kiosks to distribute products, close the last mile, and really have a true omni-channel retail strategy. And so we, our software integrates into many types of hardware, but we do have our own patented hardware called the Pop Shop. And it's just mm -hmm. a really beautiful machine. I like to call it the iPhone of vending machines. Certainly has changed the way that people see vending. And we had our first installation last Friday. So our Pop Shop is live selling none other than flat out of heels in Columbus, Ohio at Polaris. That's so oh, exciting. Okay. That's, that's awesome. Congratulations. So. Good. Well, that was a quick around the horn to hear some info about everybody and their companies. They're all amazing. Um, so I actually have a question that came in here from our viewers. So somebody had said they would love to hear from each of you what you consider the most important lessons you've learned since starting up. So pretty general question. I'm going to go right around the horn again. So let's start back with Cooper. What's the most important lessons you've learned since starting up? Oh, wow. Uh, so many. So many great and also painful lessons. Uh, <laughs> so, so I'll share a couple of things that I think may be helpful. How about that? Um, one of the things I learned was when to raise and when not to raise um, and how much. So initially, uh, I, was, I was told by everyone, their mom, to like go raise money before I really even had a like product. And that's a terrible idea. Um, really, really bad. Well, because you'll just waste time. And unless you're a very seasoned storied entrepreneur with multiple successes behind you, no one wants to give you like idea money usually. Um, 
And so it can actually be a huge waste of time. So my suggestion would be always, always um, do kind of five steps before raising. So number one, vet your idea to the max, do huge amounts of product market research, talk to people um, in person, get online, look at that TAM, look at that SAM, see, is this a big enough um, like uh, addressable problem? If it's not big enough, if it's like a niche thing, I once wanted to make a heated push-up bra um, but that was niche and <laughs> yes, Samantha, you're laughing. We've all been there. Like when you're clubbing and you have to be outside and cute, but anyway, uh, tiny, niche, <laughs> not VC fundable. And, um, and so that was not an idea I went for it with. Thank God I did product market research, right? So do that first, then, um, try to make an MVP. So throw together your minimally viable product, like a prototype, even if it's super hacky, right? Get an engineer to build it for you. Uh, not for free that you have to pay them at least a dollar so that you own the IP. Don't ever make that mistake. Um, and then third, put together an advisory board. So just get a couple impressive folks behind you, both for their names, but also if they buy into your idea that's assigned to you, that's actually worth pursuing, right? Um, then like put together a deck and then pitch. But until you have all those things working and ideally some LOIs too from like potential customers, if not real revenue, before you do all of that, especially as a first-time entrepreneur, um, you'll just spin your wheels and waste a ton of time. The the vision, the whole like, ooh, you know, sexy and exciting idea like to that you should go raise money is very tantalizing and it's totally the wrong first move, in my opinion. All good points. And I've been there and I, I fully trust you know what you're talking about. So, all right, great. Crystal, how about you? What What's some lessons you've learned uh, starting up? Um, there's so many, again, I, and I, I concur with, with, um, with what was just said. I think I'm going to go with persistence. Um, you're going to get told no a lot. You're going to get told no so many times. And sometimes the reason people are saying no has nothing to do with you or your idea, but has to do with them and them not, you know, being the right person to, you know, accept that opportunity or, you know, it, there's a lot of reasons why someone says no. Um, so, you know, being persistent, pushing through those objections, pushing around, over, under, um, figuring out how to address the objections you're getting, but really, you know, do whatever you can to be persistent and not give up, um, especially once you've gotten to the point where, you know, you have your, your product and you're ready to start taking this out. Um, you know, you have to believe to the depth of your soul that this is worth doing. And when you believe that, that will translate very, very well to the people you're talking to, whether it's a potential employee, a potential funder, um, potential partner, that is tangible and, and it helps them trust you and understand that, you know, what you're, what you're doing has some real credibility to it. Um, and, and I always joke, uh, I have some investors that I've presented to five times before they finally said yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I, I joke with somebody, if, if you don't want to have me continue to send you updates, you need to tell me no. Um, and even then, I sometimes will still tell you my updates because sometimes when somebody says no, that just means not right now. <laughs> right. Um, but you know, being persistent and and pushing through those objections is is really, it's crucial. You you cannot get through the hard things that you're gonna face unless you're persistent. Sure, I like the way that you 
professionally and politely put that it's it's not you, it's me rejection that you receive from investors, right? That's not right for me at this time, but okay, interesting stuff. So Samantha, how about you next? What, what lessons have you learned? Most important. Yeah, um, also so many. Um, I would say, you know, it, it, it's funny because a lot of, you get this question and then um, you get unsolicited feedback. feedback um, it, you get this question as an entrepreneur once you get to a, a point of success and then you get a lot of feedback all the time for everyone else. And um, I would say there's there's something to be said for like advisor whiplash. So know that, you know, we are distinct human beings on this panel that have had different experiences and have our own bias and, and we change our viewpoints on things too. Um, and the reason that people lead, the reason that deep tech is new is because, you know, they broke the mold and they did things that hadn't, the way they hadn't been done before. So um, I meet a lot of entrepreneurs or rising entrepreneurs who have, who have read books and they're like, this is how so-and-so who I really looked up to did things and this is how I'm gonna do it. But remember like they're a, a leader because they were being told no a thousand times and doing things in a really radical and different way. Um, one podcast, I really believe a lot in peer mentorship and love hearing comments like this is um, How I Built This by Guy Raz. Um, you can meet some really interesting com companies that change culture and, and you'll see their trials and tribulations. So um, I encourage you to seek peer mentorship um, I, I would take a separate view than Cooper. I'm, I always encourage companies not to build a board until you have to, but definitely recruit advisors and sounding boards and mentors. So we have two, Tom Chi, uh, formerly from Google Glass, and Pascal Fonat from Mozilla and Singularity University, now Be Radical. And we, we so value their advice, but even Tom and Pascal will, will differ. And um, we have a dysfunctional board because we know if, if we were to raise, you know, the investor would want to come on. But we have lots of mentors and have done a crap ton of accelerators out of necessity and, and, and lean on a network. Um, but I would say um, one of the things I like to say for hardware companies, I know we're in the minority, is um, it's okay to be ugly. And maybe for software companies, too. I'm not, I'm not sure if that applies. Uh, but the best thing you can do is get your prototype and get it out there. Because what you have right now is you have an idea plus market research, as Cooper said, and that's, that's armchair anthropology. It's a theory. But you have got to get, and, and you have this echo chamber of your friends who are likely similar to you and your family that just loves you anyway. Um, and, and so what you have to do is get outside of that network. So, you know, we used Kickstarter. It was great for us. Fundraised in 27 hours, got a quarter of a million. We were up and running and figured out we had to figure out how to make a factory and became what would have been a nonprofit to a for-profit. It was great for us. But also immediately that put us in overnight with an idea in 23 countries where people were giving unsolicited feedback all the time and we are on Reddit, which I still hate. Um, and, but but it's, good, it's good advice. So be ugly. When you look at that picture of our very first Kickstarter campaign in 2013, that product we have to what's you know, sitting in the chamber now, it's a radically different um, product. But you, you've got to start somewhere. Um, so get it out there. Be ugly. Let people touch your product. Let them engage with it. If you do a crowdfunding campaign, one thing I rarely see um, contributors at the tech magazines talk about, I think there's something to be said for launching, I would say, with a live event. Obviously, that's difficult during COVID. For us, I think what saved our heinies is we launched our product in 2013. The electrical box was on the ground, stupid, ugly, at the front door at the Startup Chile booth at South by Southwest. Doors open, the VIP media walks through first, TechCrunch announces 3D printing is now bigger than a bread box. We were funded that day. That would have not happened with my network coming from Detroit and, and not having those connections, working in a factory. Oh, they're opening the door. It's really cool sound, right? My co-founder is a farmer from Iowa. 
Um, you know, we had our NASA peers who already love this, but that got us outside of it and got us to a broader community. So be ugly, get yourself out there. Don't just talk to your grandma. Use ways to experiment and to fail fast. And then finally, when I first commissioned in the military, my first exercise, I had an admiral um, uh, who was in charge from the Navy. We were in a joint exercise. And he was asking the dumbest questions. Turns out he's never done disaster response, which is what I do for North America. And he was just, sure. he was asking questions I knew the answer to. And at the end of three days, he pulls me aside, you know, uh, senior people like to mentor lieutenants because we're dumb and said, um, you know, Lieutenant, have you noticed that I've been asking a lot of stupid questions? And I was like, well, yeah. And he's like, I want to tell you something that I learned in my career. And he's like, I heard you're an entrepreneur and I hope you're applying it to that too. And he said, you can be stupid for a day or you could be stupid forever. So don't be afraid to put yourself out there, ask the hard questions, ask the dumb questions, because you've got so many people to learn from. So that's, that's my feedback. Oh, I like that a lot. That, that sounds like a very wise, very wise person <laughs> or, or you know. Be stupid for today. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right. Get it out of the way. So awesome. Samantha, okay. just to clarify, I totally agree with you on the board. I, I was meaning yeah. advisory board. Ah, gotcha. It's an advisor board that can help like bolster and lift the credibility of your company. But I agree, like, you know, wait as long as possible for the board itself and always be ugly with your software. If you're releasing it <laughs> when it's gorgeous, if it's so perfect when you're releasing, you've waited too long. You've waited way too long. So yeah, 100% agree. Thank you. All really good points. Uh, Don, how about how about you? What's the most important lessons you've learned starting up? I definitely learned the lessons they said, so I will not repeat. So I'm going to add something different. But as a hardware founder, yes, let it be ugly. I'm on my fifth vending machine right now, and uh, you know it was very ugly <laughs> at first, and the software was very ugly <laughs> at first, and it's much better. But I want to say that I've learned to trust myself. That I know I always know more than I think I do. Um, you know, the, what is put within me to do this business and what was my driving force? Everybody didn't always understand it or get it. I've been told my idea wasn't good many times and uh, people didn't really understand the market or people said it's not going to, it's not scalable. And those things can be downers. Or even when people say things about, you know, black women not being able to raise money, women not being able to raise money, people in Midwest can't raise money. I mean, there's always something that's going to tell you that you can't do what you're working towards and trust yourself and you can get it done. I also learned the importance of hiring for culture, um, for culture fit. So not just for skills, you know, skill sets are important and certainly needed, but skills can be taught. Culture cannot be taught. So they have to be a good fit in your organization or it just is not going to work out. And so um, building the team was the hardest part for me, even harder than the hardware, which was devastatingly hard. But the team side was difficult because we had to really figure out what our culture was. And I was motivated by the book by Tony Shea called Delivering Happiness. And it helped me to really set our core values and really motivated and driven by our core values and our mission and vision. And of course, really organizational KPIs and OKRs. And that helped us to stay on track and stay cohesive. So definitely that's what I learned. Oh yeah, that, that confidence in yourself is so important. I mean, I remember when I was starting out, you know, you, you go out there and you think that these people have all the answers to everything. They're so, they're, they have billions of dollars. They're, you know, high net worth individuals. And, you know, well, two things, right? Is those people that think they know everything are people I generally don't like to spend a lot of time around. <laughs> and then the second part is, you know, just having the confidence in yourself. That like, look, you wake up in the morning, you don't have all the answers, but it's kind of fun because you just have that, the capacity to figure them out or at least surround yourself by people that can help there. So anyway, yeah, all, all great points. So, and, and one thing you had mentioned, Don, that I want to get into is, 
and I think a lot of people maybe don't give this as much emphasis in the beginning is building your teams, right? Mm -hmm. what, what, what characteristics in the people that you bring on board, at least in the early stage, do you find most, uh, most valuable or most important? So I'm gonna start again at the top with Cooper. Cooper, what, what do you look for when you're building your team? I mean, certainly talent, uh, but what is that, right? And expertise, um, but there are also these like, I don't know, intangibles that you also have to have specifically at a startup. And one of the ways that we filter for those, um, just as a, a kind of tip for those of you who wanna steal it, um, I always, this is bad, but we, we do pay slightly under market. One, because we're a startup, but also two, because we choose to, because we also give equity. Even the lowest level folks who come onto our team and we're not tiny anymore, like they, a, a portion, small, small, small portion of their um, compensation is equity. And, and if folks aren't excited to work for a lot of cash, but also some equity, um, mm -hmm. they don't belong on our team. It unifies us all against the same goal. We all know that, you know, when and if, you know, we do have that exit, be it IPO or acquisition one day, we all make out better. And that is um, a key piece to getting everybody, I think, on board. We also have a bonus structure too, but of those three things, cash, bonus, and equity, all add up such that people are incentivized at every level to do their best work. So we, we always get folks who are, um, certainly have an expertise in their area. We also want them um, to work for that extra upside, to be willing and not mad when we call them extra after hours, because it's gonna happen. And all of them have to be what um, my COO from Bain calls rock stars. Um, rock stars are people who of their own nature go above and beyond, do the extra credit and do it smiling. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Doing it smiling, I like it, good. Yeah, with a good all attitude, right, positivity, right? It's so important because y'all know like it can be a drag, it is long hours if you don't, if you aren't positive and like the people you're working with, it's just a nightmare. Yeah. It's one of the hardest things to do. Sorry. No, and I, I concur with all of that. Um, the hardest thing you will do in your company is building a team and working with, with people. The technology um, might be rocket science, literally, but it's harder. <laughs> it's harder to get that team together. And, and it's a constantly evolving process. So one of the things that we've done, um, we also give uh, equity to everyone on our team now. Um, but one of the other things that, that we do is we really we really drive our mission because what we do, we we can and we will change healthcare. What we're doing is so important and there is not a week that goes by that we don't play a role in helping change somebody's life. And sometimes we save their lives. And so really keeping that mission in the forefront, it's actually, it's actually on our conference room wall. <laughs> um, so that we, we always keep that in mind. And when we're hiring, that's the first thing I say to them. I am less interested about the things that they know how to do and more interested about whether or not they believe in our mission. Because if we, if everyone on my team believes to the depth of their soul that our mission is one important and two something that they believe in and they wanna be a part of, then they are much more likely to go above and beyond. They are much more likely to not feel 
like they're not being, you know, properly compensated because we're a startup, we pay below market wages. That's, that's just the reality of, of this beast. Yeah. Um, so really driving through that mission, if you can put together a really strong mission that people can really get behind, it helps your team push through those really tough moments. Um, and, you know, COVID has been a very tough moment for us. We we didn't get a COVIDcation. <laughs> we got the exact opposite of a COVIDcation because we do COVID testing. So, um, so yeah, so you've got to have that that unifying um, belief strip system in, in the company. And that that's how we've really focused on on trying to make sure we get those people that that are the right fit. Sure. Crystal, I got to ask you a follow up because um, your product's near and dear to my heart for various reasons. But um, is there any sort of pushback that you receive from any different groups, whether it be insurance or whatever, that maybe just your average person may not may not recognize or realize when you're in the space that you're in? I'm, I'm not sure I quite follow your question. Uh, yeah, I, I guess that you know, let me, let me circle back to that so I can sound okay. smarter on the second go around. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Samantha, how about you? When you're building your team, what do you look for? Yeah, I would say, um, y'all, y'all hit on it. I absolutely, um, similar to, um, Crystal, you know, your mission is paramount, especially if you're a social enterprise guys, like, um, and, and that's, that's been a blessing when we used to have this rule early on, we don't do it anymore. You had to work six months for free and then you got paid under, uh, now, uh, you know, thanks, thanks to some of the grants and, and pitch competitions and whatnot, we've been able to um, start you out at something, but you have to bleed for our mission. And we're also learning to the value in hiring slow. Um, I'm a big fan now of giving test projects. Um, you know, once, once we kind of cleared like 20 people, you're, you're more in a position where you can do that. You know what works and what doesn't with your team. And um, also having um, individuals besides yourself take part in that second or third interview and, and facilitating a text project so you can see the dynamics within your team. You know, we, we try to hire for divergent thought and, you know, so there's there's going to be rub and tension sometimes and you can kind of pick out when people are in different spectrums of traits, but you can you can intentionally put them in a position to work together and, and to see if they can just really, you know, have a, a respect for, for the different lens. Um, so that, that's definitely something that we do. We are hiring PS uh, pretty much for everything. So reach out to us if you're interested. But with that in mind, um, if you are interested in going to re3d.org forward slash careers, um, a non-negotiable we've learned for us it, being in, in tech and with what we do, which is a really evolving field that's both engineering as well as materials, real-time material science and capacity building um, is you have got to know how to 3d print and whether that and you have to love it like you if you work for starbucks headquarters you probably love coffee if you work for re3d you have to just think you know added advanced manufacturing added manufacturing 3d printing is going to change people's lives and be so invested in that and um bonus if you love to 3d print from garbage or if you have a heart for it but um, you know, we want to see on your cell phone, like, here's a picture of something I took last weekend because I couldn't stop thinking about this problem with my personal printer that I hacked. This is, you know, the portfolio of projects I did, in, you know, in, in college or uh, with my friends or at another adventure. But um, you got to love your product. Plus, you have to love the mission. And then you have to be able to work. For us, I would say Re3D is like working at, you know, Disneyland or Disney World where, um, you know, everyone's a character, but it's the happiest place on earth. And so you just have to really believe in that. Um, and then um, finally, you know, I, th I think the single co-founder thing can be done, but I do think uh, I would concur with like the Y Combinator model and that 
there's a lot of merit in both ventures that I've done. I've had a, another technical co-founder um, and that's just been such a blessing. Um, I've also been a co-led teams uh, both times and, you know, Matthew, my co-founder this round is, is very different than myself and, but, and we're like mom and dad of the company, but I can't imagine going through COVID alone and scaling to this point and seven long years and traveling to the craziest locations we've been to around the world when, you know, shit's hit the fan. So I would, sorry, I shouldn't have sworn. Um, but <laughs> I, you know, I would, I would say if, if you're early on, um, they're building a company at scale globally, if that's your goal, or especially in hardware, like it's, it's just so much of an undertaking. If you're doing a lot in house, like, um, you know, if you have the bandwidth, definitely take it on. We also believe in, um, you know, giving equity, especially early on to everyone that's, you know, busting their balls, but, um, or not balls. I mean, not everyone has them, whatever, but, um, so, but the, <laughs> I haven't got a lot of sleep this week, but the, um, I would say if, if you do that and, and that's something that, you know, we, we definitely do as well. Um, have a four-year vest, even with your co-founders and that founding team, because people get tired and you think you might be in a place in your life, you can support it. And then, you know, life happens and, or, you know, you just, you move on or there, there's another opportunity. This is Matthew, by the way. Um, but if you, um, if I would say definitely do the four year vest, if you don't know what that is, email us, we have a great lawyer, we can connect you to him. And then, um, and that's worked out really well for us. And so when people do decide to transition for whatever reason, it just, it makes it a lot easier. It's terms you already talked about and, um, you know, it's easier, I think, to stay friends. And then, um, finally, uh, one thing that we play with, and we actually borrowed this model from a couple other Silicon Valley companies, uh, but um, we do revenue sharing. So uh, about halfway through our genesis, we dropped sales commissions because we realized people buy consumables and services from us and additional units as they version up or go bigger or scale. And our customer support team was part of that sale. Our shipping manager is and the notes she puts in the boxes. And the person that gives our tours now virtual, not in person, but um, through the factory. And so we just decided that everyone has their fingerprint on our product and our company. So we all share in the success at the end of the year. How we do that is we set um, a flat trigger for reaching a certain like point to create stability um, at some point in the year, uh, it gets paid out. And then we do a percentage of your base pay at the end of the year. If you if you want to riff offline about that, I know it's kind of a new cool. concept. Happy to it's explore like it with you. It's like a bonus, but, but slightly different. Yeah, it's and it's based on the, the company's your... revenue. Yeah, exactly. That's so, so cool. Yeah, it's kind of different, but um, it, it works for us, maybe not for everyone, but um, don't be afraid to, to find a model that works for you to ensure that people feel valued and that they're in it together. Got it. Good. Don, how about you? Uh, what are your, what do you look for when you're building your team? Everything they said. <laughs> oh, I'm starting with you first next time. More, but I don't want to be redundant because I want us to max our time here today. So I, another thing, as I said, was just um, culture fit, how they vibe. Uh, I, what I found is that people with very strong corporate backgrounds and a corporate career don't transition easily to startups all the time. They can, but it just is not that easy, especially the way we do things and how we're very unconventional in a lot of ways. Also for me, it's people that think outside of the box. Everything we've done has been completely opposite of what the startup model is, you know, we raise money crowdfunding, we raised 2.8 million crowdfunding to date, we raised a million in the traditional route, but I really didn't like the VC route. So, um, you know, if we raised 3.8 million, but most of that was crowdfunding. We 
set up our company different. I do agree with the vesting schedule. We do that as well, four-year vesting, one-year cliff. Um, and then we also take, like, we have really cool perks and just, I want to, I, I try to figure out what do they like, what motivates them. And I'll offer them perks and things. If you're really into health, I'll do a health and wellness. Um, if, you know, I'll just tell them, take, take a certain amount, you know, and go to the spa every month or whatever it is, is your thing, whatever is your self-care. So we work for you. <laughs> yeah, we have a self-care stipend and they can, they have a, a certain amount they can spend with a receipt. Show us that you did something for self-care and we'll, Will reimburse you so people that are just open to things like that and then just um you know like i said we've also just structured our company different we we don't we have our board but we don't have we have we have only common stock we have no investors on our board um we didn't issue any pre preferred shares and so if you're really by the book you're not really for us because we are so outside of the box and always writing our own story sure no very good and i have a quick follow-up yeah sorry um, so for, for those viewers out there, including myself, I'm going to be candid about it. Can you maybe talk briefly about what that um, capital raise looks like if you're crowdfunding rather than the traditional VC route? I, I'm really curious about that. Yeah, so I've done two Reg CF and uh, now I'm, I'm in the middle of a Reg A plus right now. So the Reg CF until two weeks ago, the limit was a million seventy thousand for 12 month calendar year. And so that's why I did two. But now they've raised the, the limit to five million, which is great for everyone that wants to raise. And then the Reg A plus, the limit was 50 million. And now the limit is 75 million. So now we're in the middle of that. And the difference is that you can just uh, what's called general solicitation. So you can talk about the raise on social media, on a stage, on the radio. Uh, you don't it's it's for accredited and non-accredited investors. When you're raising a traditional round from institutional capital, venture capital, accelerators, et cetera, private offices, those are accredited investors that have to make either just as an individual 200,000 a year and as a couple 300,000 a year, or of course these they're also qualified as accredited if they're a private office, if they're a fund. But with crowdfund, you can raise money from anyone, anyone over the age of 18, and it's just, you know, for me, since I've been an entrepreneur for now 20 years, almost, it'll be 20 years next year, well, my fifth company, Forest still in business, I had a great community of people and supporters that knew about me from over the years, and they wanted to support me. And they weren't all accredited, not even a fraction of them were accredited. And so it, it allowed me to use my personal network, tap into my um, very significant media coverage in my in my uh, network as a, a professional speaker to then raise money from those people starting at two hundred and fifty dollars. So, um, and then at, with the Reg A plus, you can also raise simultaneously a VC round and you can raise a crowdfunding round. That's what I'm actually doing right now. So a lot more flexibility, and anyone can invest and anyone can raise money in this way. That's great. Just real quick too. So what are the fees associated with doing something like that? I'm just curious if it's how price prohibitive it is, if at all. Yeah. I mean, I compared it. To, so I did around my first round a million. So when I thought about traveling, airplanes, hotels, meals, all lawyers, it pretty much balanced out. The fees vary per, per platform, but they'll yeah. be between nothing to about $5,000 onboarding due diligence costs. And then the platforms take between, I'd say, three to eight percent of your raise, depending on which one there are. It is they're all pretty different, and they all have different criteria for approval. But I really compare the Reg CF to a, a seed friends and family as far as a cost. I'd say about maybe ten thousand dollars because you don't have to get an audit. 
You just need a, a financial review by a CPA that doesn't already work for you. But the Reg A plus is expensive and takes a lot of time. It's very much like a series A. We had to do a three-year audit. That's very expensive. Had to make sure our financials were all in gap format. We had to do very extensive filings, Edgar filings. We also have to report annually, just like we're, it's like going public. So that is very in depth. And I wouldn't recommend anyone do that as your first round. So a Reg CF is a great replacement for friends and family and a seed in a, a pre-series A, but um, you know, the next one is very in depth. Wow. Okay. Very interesting. I may, I may follow up with you later about that, but um, we have a question that came in from the thing, Sorry. Just so everybody knows, in U2, it's only one line item on your cap table. So I have 4,800 investors, but I have two line items on my cap table representing similar to a syndicate. So I don't have to manage all these investors. My cap table is still clean, which is really important if you want to continue to raise and then have a liquidity event later. That's, that's probably the most <laughs> the most important thing that I caught of that whole conversation. No, it, it was all really good. But so we have a question that came in here, and I hope I'm saying this the right way or asking it the correct, the right way. But um, somebody wants to know what uh, what kind of journey you've had, like how long has it taken thus far? And so I'll, I'll start with Samantha and work my way back up, and then I'll come back to Don. But so how, how long have you worked on your product or how far into your company, how, how long have you? have you uh, taken to get to where you're at now? Um, that would be this, this venture? Yes. Yeah, um, so I would say, you know, honestly, so we're, we're this bastard child that's considered a spinoff of NASA by talent, which is kind of interesting, um, and um, a spinoff of Engineers Without Borders, NASA Johnson Space Center. And, um, you know, my last rule supporting um, NASA was at NASA headquarters as a social entrepreneur in residence. And I was kind of blogging about this idea. I was, you know, I, I was working with people in, in the space program that had an interest in um, seeing how what we learned living and working in space could translate. And I was volunteering, I was on the board, uh, I think the Young Professionals Board of Opportunity International, thinking about microfinance, and then having these conversations over beer with, with other NASA nerds where we were volunteering in Rwanda, Nicaragua, Mexico, and beyond. And um, for all of those organizations, I was writing blogs like publicly. And then I was convening my friends and we were hanging out. And at some point I started taking minutes and we were meeting like at the conference room, JSC on lunch hours, and then, you know, after hours. And then we started applying, we, we knew we wanted to make this open source project. We thought it would be a hobby. We started applying to competitions. So if you count that time, that was probably two years of where, and, and, and I was asking organizations I was working with as a social entrepreneur in residence for NASA, um, like USAID and, um, you know, really large organizations like and, and potential end users, what the requirements would be for this project. So like to Cooper's point, I was doing a lot of market research without realizing it. I never considered myself an entrepreneur, even though I'd sold a previous venture. Um, I'd say I'm an ac accidental entrepreneur both times, but I, I was, I, we were getting a lot of inputs and we were kind of validating who would be on that early team. Um, so that was about a two year process. And then really for us, you know, we, we took a video we made, it's still out there somewhere for Jack Daniels, that randomly partnered with Instructables in 2011 or 12 for the Independence Day project. And it was a whiskey barrel and $25,000 to create independence for others through your social vision. And we made this terrible video where I was swearing, obviously, and flushing a toilet. And um, and we took that video and kind of edited it when we heard about this thing called Startup Chile. And I was actually, went to officer school and came out, got my phone out of the security drawer and saw that the president of Chile announced that we were in this cohort and my my uh, former boss at NASA had liked the status and said, so I guess you quit, you know, <laughs> like, cause I had to be in Chile like two weeks later. So, 
you know, for us, you know, getting into that accelerator, getting 40K, realizing, okay, now we have money to make this prototype. And then we made it in eight weeks and threw it on Kickstarter, like talked about. Um, and then we're in all these countries and we had to deliver, like that just catalyzed our company. So um, that's a long answer to say, I think, you know, it's kind of like when you want to lose weight, you tell a bunch of friends or you're going to run a marathon, I'm going to run a marathon or I'm going to lose 10 pounds. <laughs> and it's kind of throwing right. it out there, right? And, and then you get going. I think there's usually kind of some runway, whether it's conscious or unconscious. And then, and then there's that deliberate, okay, we got to execute. Sure. Or, or the accountability when you have customers. Very nice. So Crystal, how about you? How long have you uh, been working at this or working on your current company? Yes. Yeah, so I have five, um, there are five of us that co-founded the company. Three of uh, the co-founders are professors um, at George Washington University and Boston University. So um, they were kind of the initial group that, that came up with this idea. And then they recruited me in and I recruited my chief technology officer in. So we're the, the five core founders. Only two of us work in the company on a daily basis. The other three are on advisory roles. And sometimes we do joint projects with their universities on research projects and, and grant applications and such. So it's a, it's a very different model. So um, I was recruited in, and actually the way I, I found out about them, I was working uh, volunteering with Virginia Bio, uh, the Biotechnology Industry Association for the state of Virginia. And I had just sold my first company and um, I called the CEO of Virginia Bio and I said, hey, let me know if you know anyone who's looking for, you know, an executive to come in on, on a startup. And the first words out of his mouth were, hey, do you know Keith Crandall? Well, Keith is my, my, one of my founders. And um, I said, no, we met. And that was where, you know, how I got introduced to this technology. My background is in infectious disease and having gone through a company um, from start to, to finish, you know, I it was just in the right place at the right time. And I knew that I could come in and take this, this amazing idea that they had come up with and take it into the marketplace. So that process has been going on for um, about six and a half years now. Okay, gotcha. Good. Cooper, how about you? How long have you been working on Clickly? I have been ideating for a very long time while I actually had my second company. Um, we were doing pilots with it and I was at the same time doing just a ton of hackathons. Um, and this was after I sold the first company. So then because we got funding for Quickly, I did pause that second company and um, went whole hog into this um, for two reasons. One, it's a very timely and kind of exciting moment for the intersection of data, e-commerce and payments right now, right? There's a huge amount of change in the ecosystem and they used to all be split. And now it's like, no, no, they're, they're kind of all coming together now. Um, so we just realized it was timely. Um, and then the second reason was, uh, well, we got money and I'm not somebody who can split <laughs> my focus. No, there's a lot of entrepreneurs who work on two, three things at the same time. And I'm just like, honestly, when I take in millions of dollars of people's monies and I have, you know, the CTO of Stripe and head of innovation at Google looking down, you know, over my shoulder, what are you doing? Um, I just feel a lot of responsibility, regardless of who they are. They happen to be amazing individuals, but it's just like, I can't do sure. more than one thing so we went all in i guess about three years ago three and a half we did um hardcore um product development in beta for about a year and a half and then launched two years ago um fully like pu publicly um we are re weirdly still in my only platform though so we only accept one out of every six brands who apply 
Oh, very nice. Very nice. And we have about three minutes left. So I want to make this quick going around the horn one more time here. But, um, you know, I guess this is the opportunity to pitch. Is there any anything you're working on currently raising around any way that uh, anything, any asks, I guess you have of our audience or people that may see this in the future and um, any ways that people can connect with you um, or your company. So I'm going to start at the bottom. Don, uh, how about you? Um, anything you're working on and how can people connect with you if they would like to? Yeah, definitely two ways. Obviously everyone can reach out to me on all social platforms under Don Dixon, D-I-C-K-S-O-N. Popcom is also raising around the funding right now on StartEngine. It's startengine.com forward slash Popcom. We're raising 5 million and we're almost at 500,000 right now. So it's moving along pretty nicely. And then we're also looking for retailers who are interested in selling their products in one of our pop shops. You can check that out on our website. We have a lease program and a purchase program. So we have over 500 venues secure looking for cool products to come be sold in their venues. So get yourself out there and reach out to us. Don, are you guys, do you all have a direct to consumer site as well? No, we're B2B. So yeah, okay. retailers, we work with retailers. So okay, retailers come to us, they'll get a vending machine. We work with them and then the, with awesome. their, so no B to, but then Flat Out of Heels is still in business selling flats. So flatoutofheels.com. Cool. Awesome. Samantha, how about you? And we're running out of time. We have about a minute left. So let's try to make it quick, please. Yeah, sure. So um, I would say uh, definitely if you know anyone that wants to join our team, tell them to go to re3d.org forward slash careers. More importantly, if you're a small business and you are in need of PPE, we received $100,000 from Unreasonable and Barclays to help you get the PPE you need to safely reopen. Um, so please uh, go to our website. We're partnered with Impact Hub Houston. We want to see you be successful. And if you need anything, Samantha Snabs, Cross Social or Re3D Printing. Thank you. Perfect. Crystal, how about you? Yeah, so I'm also on all the social media platforms. You can reach out to me or to the company directly. Um, if anyone's sick and can't figure out why, um, we may be able to help. Um, we're looking for doctors that want to use our technology. And I also just opened a convertible note that's closing by the end of this year. So if anyone's looking for a great place to, to park some money for a few years, let me know. Wonderful. And then rounding it out, Cooper. Yes. How can people go ahead. Okay. People can connect with me um, on Instagram or LinkedIn. I'm Cooper Harris. You can also email me at cooper at clickly.com. My uh, clickly is spelled K-L-I-C-K-L-Y. Okay, here's my offer. If you are a direct to consumer brand, you sell e-commerce things to like general people, like flats, like your flats company, um, reach out to us. I will give you a really cool perk to get on quickly and advertise and power your customer acquisition on a commission only basis. Number one. Uh, number two, we're launching a really huge, very exciting consumer product. So if you want to be a beta tester for that and get a bunch of free, awesome products, um, email me. And then, um, yeah, if you want to join our team, we're looking for growth hacker, direct consumer marketers, people who've like basically mastered the conversion funnel in e-commerce. Um, email me too, cooper at clickly.com. Thank you so much, everyone. That was a fun discussion. I'm glad that you uh, could share a little bit more about what you're doing and how your companies are, are doing and, and obviously uh, you're all moving things along and, and not to mention you've learned a lot, a lot along the way and you're sharing that back to our community. We really appreciate that. And for all the listeners out there, if you enjoyed the conversation, please do share it with someone that you think will find it helpful. Sharing is caring. We really want to spread the knowledge and, and uh, information from all these different founders uh, as far as wide as we can. So really appreciate if you could do that. 
Speaking of sharing, I wanted to share a little bit of an update about a company that we have in our community. It's called TaxTaker. TaxTaker helps tech founders across the country get billions of dollars back from Uncle Sam every year by working with startups, which is pretty incredible. So there's these research and development tax credits that are available. And any startup that is developing a product or you know, technology, you can actually, uh, and you don't even need to pro- be profitable yet, you can qualify for this. And our friends at TaxTaker make it super easy. All you need to do is, is go sign up and they'll let you know if you qualify. So to sign up, you just go to taxtaker.com forward slash S-O-T-Y. Again, it's taxtaker.com forward slash S-O-T-Y. Well, that's this episode today. And remember, if you have a startup idea and you want to get going, today is the best day to start up. Not tomorrow, not the next day. Get it going, get it started, iterate. And in doing so, we encourage you to join our community for access to support, expert advice, and resources that you will need to elevate your startup to the next level. Just go to SOTY.link forward slash apply or just go to startupoftheyear.com. Until next time, I'm Frank Gruber signing off. Thanks so much for listening and wishing you the best of luck and future success in all of your adventures. Thanks for listening to the Startup of the Year podcast. Be sure to subscribe and we'll be back with another episode soon. 